We're getting into the disaster preparedness conversation today, and we want to thank Kroger for sponsoring this episode. Kroger is helping our local communities by working to end hunger and waste. Head to Kroger.com forward slash zero hunger, zero waste to see how they're doing it. What do you remember about the time leading up to Katrina? I remember everything. We have hurricanes all the time. We have hurricane parties in New Orleans where you get to get out of school. It's more like a fun energy around, I would say. This one felt a little creepy. I was in a nail salon getting ready um, for St. Augs Jamboree, which is like a huge football game to kick off the school year. Um, And I was getting cute for that. And on the news, it is kept talking about, we have to evacuate. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then when they canceled the Jamboree, that's when I knew it was serious. And so my mom and I left the nail salon and we were like, okay, we're gonna go to Bat Rouge, which is an hour outside of New Orleans. And so me and my mom left. I packed one bag of clothes. I packed my jamboree outfit. We Just left. in case. <laughs> you know, I had to be cute. We left. We got into 13 hours of traffic. And I just remember the eeriness of like being in the car for that long, not moving. People were like getting out walking just wow. to get some fresh air. The gas stations were impossible to get gas. It was flooded. But now thinking about like when a storm actually hit and seeing the news the next morning, I thought I was seeing like a bad dream. Like this was like just imagine waking up one day, going to school, routine. The next day, everything is completely gone. Not just from your house, from your whole entire city. I lost everything from years one through 17, all of my childhood photos, all of those memories that I have, I no longer have. And so the things that I do have from Katrina, one of them is a jean jacket. And I bought that jean jacket to wear to the Jamboree, my senior year in high school, and to be the cute girl. I evacuated with that jacket. And so I think it's just part of my story. Like the jacket made me feel comfortable. It made me feel safe. The jacket weathered the storm. Welcome back to More Than That. You just heard from one of my good girlfriends, Heather Haynes, a.k.a. Homegirl Heather, about her experience with Hurricane Katrina. And unfortunately, her story is one of many. As climate change shows out with record-setting shifts in temperatures, it's causing nationwide chaos with Black communities being the most impacted by these damaging storms. It's clear that climate change is no longer up for debate. It's here and it's happening. But we're not losing hope and we're facing the future head on. In this episode, we talk to New Orleans natives Edward Buckles Jr. and Chike Oza, the filmmakers behind the celebrated and powerful film Katrina Babies, and Kimberly Dowdell, a groundbreaking architectural leader and city planner about disaster planning, recovery, and housing sustainability. I'm so excited to get into this. I am just so honored to have both of you all. The ways that you are just telling our stories on all the platforms that y'all do is incredible. Y'all ready to get started? Absolutely. Let's do it. My name is Edward Buckles Jr. I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. I am the uh, filmmaker, one of three writers and producer of HB original documentary, Katrina Babies. That's how I would uh, introduce myself. (laughs) Chike, what about you? (laughs) I'm Chike. I'm one half of the directing duo, Cootie and Chike. Unlike Cootie, I'm from New Orleans. Cootie's from Chicago. And um, filmmaker, artist. I like to consider myself an artist more than a filmmaker. And, uh, you know, now we're moving into feature films. So 
Ooh, what a time. What a time. Well, I'm happy to have both of y'all on. So first, Ebuck, when did you know that Katrina Babies needed to be made and what you hope people took away from that doc? Well, first, having my experience with the storm and then returning to New Orleans, you know, to what was a ghost town, growing up in a post-Katrina New Orleans, you know, I think that it kind of prepped me to be equipped to, you know, tell this story. And finally, once I got exposed to the arts, that wound up being a vehicle for me to even go to college. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I wound up going to college and I studied documentary. As we're watching like all of these, you know, super, super traditional documentaries, I began to, you know, think what type of documentary would I want to make? At first I didn't know, but then I got a call from my cousin Tina And we just started talking about her life and talking about the family and the conversation of Katrina came up and she told me what happened to her and her kids. And I was like, that's the story that, you know, that I want to tell. I want to draw parallels between what the children experienced in that storm and and, and during that time with the current state of New Orleans youth, because, you know, Mm. we were dealing with like a lot of horrible things growing up in that post-Katrina New Orleans. And it just seemed to me that people were blaming us for it. People were labeling us as, you know, uh, just like a a doomed generation, right? And as soon as I started interviewing uh, people, I realized very quickly that this was not only me hearing people's stories, but this was me hearing them express and tell their stories for the first time ever. Now that it's finished, it's been like a weight lifted, I think, off of me and my community that we finally had this conversation. Mm. But you all had a front row seat as children of New Orleans. What's your Hurricane Katrina story for the folks who are listening? Yeah, so first of all, just backstory with our hurricanes. We never had to take them seriously. Right. I think that like the last hurricane that had hit was Hurricane Betsy, which was like a few decades ago. Mm. So we just saw, you know, hurricane season as like a time that We went on many vacations to visit cousins and like, you know, nearby communities and hurricane parties. Like that was like legit, like, you know, how we saw it. So it was pretty much the same thought process when we heard that a hurricane, you know, named named Katrina was in the Gulf. My mom, you know, after watching like the news and like, you know, just hearing how like the tone had changed, she decided that we should leave like, you know, at the last minute. And then like the next morning, I saw that New Orleans was underwater. And my family has stayed behind because some of us just thought that it would be like it normally was. But like really most of my Katrina story happened the years after the storm, you know, Mm. like once the trauma really began to surface in my upbringing and like, you know, in my peers upbringing, I was 13. Before the storm, I was like an honor roll student. But after the storm, you know, I found myself just getting into situations in school and in my neighborhood that was just scaring my parents. And for some reason, it wasn't scaring me, yeah. you know, and that was brand new to me. You know, um, a lot of the stuff that was occurring from Katrina, we didn't know what it was yeah. as it was happening. And, you know, even for my family, we are not the types to, you know, sit down and do therapy and sit down and do counseling, nor was it available. So we just thought, oh, okay, you know, it's it's just something that we are experiencing. We go keep it rolling. But mm. then like as I got older and as I really was blessed to move past that and like really look within, I mm. noticed that it was just like a bunch of trauma that was surfacing because of the complex trauma that like occurred before 
not just Hurricane Katrina, but everything that happened like before that and like everything that happened after. Mm. And then what I thought was random, but then I soon found out it was fate. I became a high school teacher. And as soon as I started teaching those kids, like that first week, through the good, the bad, and the ugly, through that whole experience, I like I remember that Friday I said, Oh, these are the Katrina babies. That's why I'm here. Chike, mm. tell me your story about where you were when the storm hit. My story is more of one of a feeling of helplessness because my family was on the fence of whether they were gonna evacuate, which everybody from New Orleans they they want to live and die in their homes. Yeah. At the time I was in Miami, I was just trying to figure out what my family was doing, what, where my mother was going, what was going on. And then uh, exactly what Buck said, really, though, the real feeling of it hit later mm. and really seeing how it impacted my neighbors and my family, what it did to people health-wise, mental issues. So it was almost like it was its own virus that kind of slowly permeated mm people's experiences in different ways, you know, so. Yeah. And and let's get into that, like the later impact. I mean, the PTSD, the helplessness. I think what a lot of people don't talk about, what I feel like I, I witnessed, is the stress of displacement. Your routine is altered completely yeah. and you have no idea when it's going to get back to normalcy. And I feel like people, especially elderly people that are already dealing with ailments, the stress yeah. deteriorates their health at a rapid pace. My grandmother never wanted to come back to New Orleans again. I mean, this was her home. For her to not want to return here, I knew that was something psychological that couldn't be fixed. Mm, yeah. I know that we talked about, like, a mini storm had come through and passed through when you were fine. But now we know that climate change is real. It was snow on the Hollywood sign. Like, we are living in a time where disasters can and will and might strike soon. Do you think there are any things that you do differently now to be prepared for situations like this? And if if not, what do you hope to start to like do? Yeah, I like that one. Hope, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's unfortunate because I feel like a lot of it has to do with socioeconomic issues because I would say have insurance, you know what I mean? But not everybody can afford to have insurance. So you can lose everything and you can't get anything. You know what I mean? Situations like that. Yeah. Like the problem with New Orleans was like not everybody has transportation. A lot of people rely on public transportation to get places. So a lot of issues during Katrina just was like people didn't have the luxury of getting in a car and going anywhere. And some of those people mm. probably would have, you know. So, you know, I really feel like the cities need to create more plans for people that don't have plans or have the means to have a plan. You know what I mean? Mm. How can taxpayers' dollars help us be accountable for these situations when things happen and actually take care of us? How can we pay into something to take care of the community? You know what I'm saying? So, I always have trouble answering that question because to be able to prepare for climate change and for like disasters, to like really be able to prepare for that in like a real effective way is a privilege. Like, mm. we got to call a spade a spade. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, environmental and, you know, climate injustice is very real. Uh, and, like, I think that that proved itself to be during Hurricane Katrina. So us just going to the store and buying candles and canned goods is not mm. the uh, perfect defense of, like, how climate change is really happening. But that's the most that some people can do. Some people's, like, only defense against this you know, tape on their windows and praying. That's just not enough. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We use the term, you know, if this ever happens again, 
but it's happening right now. You know, if you look at what's happening in Flint, if you look at what's happening in Mississippi, if you look at what happened for the past two years in New Orleans during the hurricane season, it's like these things are happening in our backyards every single day. Mm, that's really, that's such way to put it in what we're experiencing. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. because yeah. it's not hypothetical. But E, like what has been the biggest thing that you, you just is constantly in you now from this whole experience? For the first five years of this project, I had no funding or like, you know, huge machines behind me. It was just me believing in my story. One of the hugest things that really kept me fueled to make this project was like, I saw how many people got our stories wrong, us being called refugees and like, you know, us being shown just like in like horrible lights. Making this film really showed me that we could take a narrative back and we could take our stories back. So uh, I think that that's the biggest takeaway I took as an artist, like, you know, as a man, and like as a person, I just took away that it's important for us to have these hard conversations. Let's be real. Climate change is no joke. Black businesses and homeowners in coastal areas like Florida, New Orleans, Houston, and California have experienced its effects for a while. And we can learn from them as we prepare for environmental disasters. Safeguarding our homes and businesses, taking control of what we can, and flowing with what comes our way. Nature is a force, but we're a force to be reckoned with, too. Kroger's committed to building a more resilient, equitable, and sustainable food system to improve access to affordable, fresh food. Learn what they're doing to end hunger and waste in our local communities at Kroger.com forward slash zero hunger, zero waste. Please help me welcome Kimberly Dowdell to the show. Kimberly, thank you so much for being here. How would you introduce who you are and what you do? Yeah, well, my name is Kimberly Dowdell, and I'm an architect. I work for a global design firm called HOK. I'm based in our Chicago studio. In addition, um, I am the president-elect of the American Institute of Architects, or the AIA, So just for a little bit of background on that, there are about 120,000 architects in the United States. There are actually more attorneys just in the state of California. That sounds very low. That's not that many. Wow. Very low. But of that number, only 2,492 are Black. Wait. Okay, wait. That's insane. Yeah. In fact, next year, I will be the first Black woman to serve as national president in the 166-year history of the organization. So I'm super excited to represent. Wow. First of all, that number just blew my mind. I am sitting over it here. It is kind of awe. We're going to hop right in. So just from the architecture perspective, like what is the importance of proper architecture in communities that suffer from inclement weather and natural disasters? Over the last few years, we've seen um, just far more weather events, which have eroded the, um, you know, just the quality of life for people because they have to constantly prepare their homes for, you know, these events, like getting boarded up. And, you know, unfortunately, some of them just blowing away, which is, you know, seeing that on the news, it's heartbreaking. You know, I certainly remember Hurricane Katrina. It actually happened on my 22nd birthday. Wow. So August 29th of 2005, it was, you know, just seeing the devastation on the news. I mean, I was in college and just being really like heartbroken by, you know, not only what what we were seeing, but also how it impacted people who who looked like us. 
Mm. Ooh, you just gave me chills, like just even thinking about all of that, like because it's one of those things that I think was the first wake up call for a lot of people who hadn't seen just how devastating storms and climate and, and the environment you live in can be in these times. Yeah, climate change is definitely real. And, you know, it's important that as we, as we think about preserving our existing housing stock, that we're mindful of the life cycle of the roof and the life cycle of the materials that protect the homes. So there's so many different factors that go into creating sustainable and resilient homes. But I think a big piece of that is the economic piece, which helping people understand what resources might be available to them. So for example, I used to work in city government in the city of Detroit. And for a period of time, there was a 0% home repair program where Detroit citizens who were eligible could apply for a home loan. Obviously, they have to pay the money back, but it gave them the opportunity to at least help the, the homes maintain their structural integrity, which is really important when we have weather events. Yes. What are three things that renters or buyers should be thinking about when they're looking for a place to move or to prep their space? Sure. Well, when one is looking to rent or buy, um, some of the things that come to mind first are understanding what have the weather patterns been in that particular place. Certainly if a place has been prone to flooding or, or you know, tornadoes or hurricanes, you just want to understand like what work has been done on the house to make that place as safe and resilient as possible. Because what you don't want to have happen is, you know, a weather event happens and your your building is vulnerable. Mm, okay, yes. Get the Carfax on the home and the people. Yeah, that you know, it's funny. There. I was thinking, I was like, <laughs> do we have that? And so, for example, I think, you know, we probably remember the tragedy at Surfside, you know, down yes. in Florida. And those buildings are 40 years old. And that shouldn't have happened. And I think there were signs, you know, buildings aren't really meant to move like that. Yeah. You know, as we think about the buildings of, of all scales that we work on, you know, will people have enough time to get out of this building if there's a fire? Or will people have enough time to, you know, escape in, you know, in the event of some other type of weather event? Mm. Like understanding like how to rebuild in ways that will, you know, really protect people from the situation that we saw at that point in time. You know, just being really, really thoughtful about what the future should look like and talking to people about what they learned from experiences in the past and building to be just more mindful of how to overcome those challenges so we're not really running into the same problems over and over again. I have an older sister in Detroit and she always tells me, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. I like that. Thank you to Edward Chike and Kimberly for sharing your powerful stories about survival and perseverance when dealing with the unexpected. It's critical that we consider how disasters really affect us. Now, if you're exhausted from our day-to-day lives reading like a science fiction novel, then maybe it's time to reimagine what a new world could look like. Next week, we're doing just that with a dive into Afrofuturism. Join us as we chat about all things future forward and remember to check out the show notes for all the resources mentioned in today's show. Thank you for listening. And again, thank you Kroger for sponsoring this episode. Head to Kroger.com forward slash zero hunger, zero waste to discover how they're making fresh food more accessible.